word. Thank you that your word is life. And as we receive it, we receive your life, eternal life. That eternal life means that it'll be here. It was there from the beginning. It'll be here long after the end. Which means that it gives us power and authority over every temporal thing. I thank you that the things that this world generates are only temporary but your word is eternal. And it's a precious thing to us so we receive it as a precious gift right now in Jesus name. Amen. Praise God. Amen. 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 Praise God. So we're going to talk today about the undetectable leaven. Undetectable leaven. The undetectable leaven. I know we probably haven't studied much. On this, so much of Christian teaching has to do with grace and mercy and whatever else we think is a free ride. But there is a part that we as believers must play. And that is uh, walking in the spirit. And there are certain keys to that. Keeping your relationship with God, uh, um, you know, uh, sacred and uh in the first place in your life there's a place where God has to know he comes first and in many of the testings in our life are to establish that fact that there is no other God before him the first commandment is the first commandment for a reason because if you don't find the real true and living God you won't have anything in life I mean the rest of the commandments don't mean anything if you're not worshiping the one true and living God many people will say well I don't worship many gods well then you worship yourself you know there's somebody that you put first that you give that honor to and so if we will understand that the first commandment really places us and as far as placement in the earth it, it always is there to put us in the right place and on the right foundation so that's got to be um straightened out first that's got to be that's why when we talk to people about their life we always get around to the question and that is have they made Jesus Christ Savior and Lord of their lives and that's what puts them in the place where God the real God true and living God is their God and no other is there so that's very important to understand so your foundation must be the new birth and serving and worshiping God and so there is a day to day I guess you would say demonstration of your love for God what do you do with your time what do you do with your resources what goals do you have in life all of those things will reflect your obedience to the first commandment the second one is like it to love your neighbor as yourself and that means your neighbor being an extension of God because he's made in God's image so next to God people are to be held in high esteem not plants trees and animals but people are to be held in high esteem see when you start uh, uh, worshiping the earth and created things you've already shown you're not on the right foundation so you don't know him you, you, you because if you knew him you'd have better sense than to do that 
you'd understand that you worship the creator instead of the creature so many times people are shying away from God and they just want to pretend like they've got something real and so they'll grab onto religion and then that's very common but the thing that God wants us to do is to put him first worship him endeavor to walk in the spirit and obey the spirit of God and then as God begins to help us to develop into everything that he wants us to be there's work we have to do there's a cooperation kind of thing it's not that you've got to go through your life and make a checklist of all your faults that's not what God has in mind for us but there is a way in obedience to the Holy Spirit that you can cooperate with God's process of establishing us and regenerating and renewing us to back to what he originally created us to be so on day one when you're born again you're not there yet and other times you might be a little bit closer a little bit more advanced he can promote you a little bit but we're still a work in progress but that does not mean that that that's an excuse for bad behavior and it's not an excuse for disobedience to God and it's certainly no no reason to quit because God has already purposed um things for us to do for him he's purposed our goals in life he's got all of that mapped out he's got a plan for each and every one of us there's no doubt about it and he also has the ability to equip us to walk out that plan in excellence not in just barely getting by or just crossing the finish line you know it's you know oh they made it across you know oh so and so is a great marathoner well they were the last person to cross the line you know that's not what God had for us we're to run this race with patience finish the course complete the work and then go home that's that's his goal for us that's his goal for everybody and so he knows the length of our days he knows what what we're required to do by him and he he has a plan to do that part of the plan of the enemy though is to hinder or to thwart our accomplishment of the great things God has in mind for us he wants to hinder it and thwart it and he does that through what what I've talk about is undetectable leaven leaven so we need to know what that word means and explore that and see if we can get a better understanding of it and understand also that God already knows about it he's there to help us with it but there are certain things that we need to to do ourselves and submit to God's plan for for this perfection or maturing that he does in us um the word leaven well let me take you to Exodus 12 first I'll read to you uh, about this in context so you'll be able to get an understanding what we're talking about Exodus 12 um, this is the first Passover that's being instituted by God this is the first time the Passover is there now there's something about God folks that he does things in a purposeful way you know what I mean when I say purposeful it's not just about a ritual and a, a formula with him now if you take take what we've done with some of the major 
holidays and and uh, uh, you know kind of ceremonies that God instituted, man has made the senseless ritual out of it. You understand me? Say, for instance, the Passover. There are people now that <clears throat> Christians that want to go Jewish around Easter. And they want to go find all these Old Testament rules and regulations and keep them going hoping that that means that they're somehow better than the Christians that don't know anything about this chapter of the Bible. In certain churches there are certain things you know the uh, Catholic church is one that I can think of you know with their sacraments you know baptism confirmation you know on down the line until they hopefully catch you before the ambulance takes you to the morgue and, and they can do the last rites on you. So these are merely man's attempts to please a God that he doesn't know if he's alive or not. See, this is because you get no response when you do these things. Now, if you repent of your sins, you'll get a response. If you call on the name of Jesus, you'll get a response. Anything that's living, you'll get a response from. But these dead rituals, you get no response. So people are perfectly comfortable doing them for centuries. Just because there are these are man's attempts at pleasing God rather than attempts to contact a living God. It's a big difference. When you are wanting to contact a living God, you'll find that there is a clear path to doing that. These rituals are just rituals in themselves. They don't lead anywhere. They don't help you with anything. And they're not a clear path. However, when they were instituted by God, there was life in them because they were instituted by God for a purpose. The original purpose for Passover has been done away with. That's why it's just a dead ritual. Passover really only pointed to Christ who when he came and was nailed to the tree the law with the ordinances that were against us were nailed with him. The Old Testament died with him. He didn't stay in the grave he raised up. So what's what's the law now? What's the new covenant? So this is now just a senseless dead ritual that has no life in it. If you want life, find Jesus. You got me? You Finding Passover is not going to get you closer to Jesus. Well, that went over big. I don't know if y'all believe me or not, but this is true. This is, this is how people play around in a dead church for years and never find God. And after a while they don't want God because you'll go these same people that are doing these rituals and say, wouldn't you really like to be able to get an answer from God? Oh, I'm just satisfied just the way I am. They like their sin. They like their rituals. They like their little things that they do. But they don't want a God who's alive. Because he might talk to them. And he might tell them something about himself and about them too. And so when people pick up these rituals and this is all that they do, they are satisfying themselves with something that used to have life and purpose, but the purpose is done away with. It was done away with Jesus Christ. So in Exodus 12, starting in... 
Well, up until about uh, verse 15, you're getting the instructions. God's giving the children of Israel instructions for how to fortify themselves against his command of death of the firstborn. So this is your protection against the curse that follows the disobedient. God always tests his people to see if they're going to obey him so that they can escape whatever it is that's hitting the world. For instance if there's a recession coming up or a depression coming up. God will kind of direct people. I've seen it happen with people that are praying for this job praying for that job. And God moved them over here. They were upset and they wanted back and they wanted this and that. No you stay over here where there's shelter until he tells you. And then when they get out they find well you know that job that I wanted that company folded or that thing folded or something that you, you got me. So, so he always has a protection and a shelter for his people so that when difficulty comes or the curse falls on the earth we escape. And that's all he's doing here with this Passover. It was a a uh, um, a um, holiday or a celebration or a feast day that was instituted for the purpose of divine protection. Now there are some things that we do now symbolically to imitate some of these things. And I think that they're just a point of contact for us to release our faith in God. But really almost any point of contact will do. Now I remember when I used to you know, touch the doorposts over everything with oil. And, and, but now I can walk in faith that God's taking care of that. But I don't take that away from somebody. That wants to do that symbolically to to alert the enemy forces that you're under the protection of God. That's there's nothing in that, but it's a release point of contact for you to release your faith. Some of these things God has told me to do as a word of knowledge for that situation, but not as a blanket answer to everybody's everything for things. You got it's it's you still have to the greater. Um, faith should be in the living principle not the old ritual you got me it's got to be in a living understanding of God's word to the church now and so here we have uh, the lamb without spot or blemish and and they are to kill that lamb in the evening they're to eat everything take the blood put it over the doorpost and when the death angel sees that he passes over that door now if it's Martha Stewart and she don't want no blood on her door, she dies. You got me? So this is for people who really understand when God tells you to do something, you do it. And it was Moses' job as the leader to keep everybody under authority. And as the time get closer to where they were hearing about all these uh, uh, kids dying and so forth. You better believe there were some people that didn't like blood on the door. (laughs) Should have seen the red doors coming up then. You got me? So God has a mercy on people who just can't get it together. But only to a point. Because when he says something he means it. And he tells you to obey it. He means you to obey it. And not to not obey it. Don't be don't in other words, don't think about it too long. Don't think about it too long. 
This is not the time where you want 14 confirmations. You flip the fleece over. You flip it down. You know all that kind of stuff. This is something where you must understand your obedience is imminent. It has to be imminent. It's good to be quick to obey God. That's all I'm going to say there. So this was during the Passover. And he says in verse 10 you shall let nothing of it remain till the morning. All this lamb was to be eaten up. And that which remains of it until the morning you'll burn with fire. So this is not just a meal. This is a one time deal where this is a spiritual occurrence and it's not just for natural fortification. So you have to obey these instructions to the letter. He said in verse 11 thus you shall eat it with your loins girded with your shoes on your feet. This is a drive through okay. And with your staff in your hand you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. So in other words this is not for you to go and invite 15 friends and sit down and dine. You're not going to do a sit down dinner. But you're to eat it in haste because God is going to move you out of here. See this is the suddenly where these... Hebrews have been under Pharaoh's dominion for all of these years. 430 years to be exact. Many generations. Sometimes when stuff goes on for a long time. You see that as as your lifestyle. And not as God. Living for God is your lifestyle. And then God shows up and suddenly tells you to move and get out. Then you're all offended and stuff. You won't. I, I know I'm supposed to have 30 days notice. on any eviction. I don't know why I'm getting just put on out of here. This ain't time for that you know. So you're at the highest law right now. And so he says, eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. Okay? This is what allows the death angel to pass over you. The fact that you obey these instructions to the letter. This is no time where, you know, I just ain't hungry, man. Can I wrap mine if you got a dog? No, you don't take no doggy bag with this. We got He says in verse 12, For I will pass through the land of Egypt this night, and I will kill all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. He says, I'm killing everybody. So this would be something like a, a, a virus, like the black death that swept through Europe, but faster. Where the you know you go to take a breath and it doesn't come back to you anymore that kind of thing, and he says <clears throat> both man and beast and all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment against them. So it, Egypt's time for their shenanigans is up, and when it's time, it's time, and nobody can call time but God. So if he, if you are blessed enough in your life to know his timing in things, just obey it and consider yourself a blessed person. Because there are many people who don't. He says, and the blood shall be to you for a token. Just a token. There's no power in it. It's a token. On, upon the houses where you are. So if you see blood on a door and you're running around, don't know where to find a house with blood over the door, run in there. Trust me, there was a lot of Egyptians who read the handwriting and said, "This is the same God that that you know turned the the uh, Nile into blood and had all the frogs in the houses and uh, you know this is the same God." And what did you say he was getting ready to do? Oh, okay. Well, listen. Let me just come over here and sit with you for the rest of the night. And uh, 
There's a lot of Egyptians who went. You know how I know? Because the Bible says Moses led a mixed multitude. So there's always going to be converts honey. And God does not turn them away. All he said was you get under the blood. And you're safe. And he says here. It will be a token upon the houses where you are. And when I see the blood. In other words, this is no time to talk to God and tell him how much you love him. And please, 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 please get him. He's looking for something. He's looking for something. He's looking for an obedient people is what he's looking for. He says, when I see the blood, that's all I'm going to recognize. I don't recognize you, your neighbor that's coming over and won't go home tonight. for for Just for some strange reason, I just feel like I want to stay here with you. He says, I will pass over you and the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you. And I will destroy though or smite or kill the land of Egypt. And this day shall be unto you for a memorial. In other words, you're going to remember what I did this day by observing the Passover. That's all it is. A memorial for you to remember there's no power in it. There's no right and no wrong in it. There's no, it's just a memorial to what I have done. And you shall keep it a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You shall keep it a feast by an ordinance forever. Seven days shall you eat unleavened bread. Even the first day you shall put away leaven out of your houses. In other words, and he said, whosoever eats leavened bread from the first day until the seventh day, that soul shall be cut off from Israel. So he wants no leaven in the bread during this memorial or during this feast or or during this time when you're consecrated to him. And he feels so strongly about it that if you partake in it you'll be cut off from the nation of Israel. You'll be killed as well. So there's something in this leaven that we need to understand because it not only this is the the initial introduction of the forbidding of leaven but there's also other scriptures that talk about leaven in an, in this kind of a negative sense. Now, most of us know leaven as either yeast or baking powder. And I'm telling you, if you try to have a cake or anything that's baked with leaven without this, it's not a joy to eat. Nobody leaves out. If you left this element out of a cake, for instance, you wouldn't want to eat it. You couldn't eat it. So the leaven in the sense of what it does in the natural. Leaven in the natural brings enjoyment enhanced enjoyment makes elements more physically appealing makes them uh, maybe puts them on a special pedestal like makes it more joyous if we use cakes for celebrations and for joyous occasions so in the natural leaven has that element to it But in a spiritual sense, it's forbidden, especially in times when God wants the focus 100% on him. In other words, when it's very important for us to be consecrated to God and to pull away from the world 
this leaven is forbidden. So what, what does the Bible, how does the Bible define leaven? It's defined, uh, leaven is, is uh, um, talks about a fermented portion of bread. In other words, this is uh, what they would do when they would bake bread, would save a portion of that loaf or that amount that you were baking that day and leave it in a warm place to continue to ferment so we're certain bacteria involved in it we know that yeast is involved in leaven so the action of heat on this already put together loaf caused it to expand even more and so you what you did was the fresh that you were going to bake that next day you put over into that and so that kind of what you would say contaminated it or infused it or infected it with that which you had the day before but that bread that was how they could rise bread they found that out you could put a little bit in there that's why Jesus gave the scripture a little bit of leaven leavens the whole lump so a little bit of leaven goes in and it's able to change the nature the substance the taste the volume of anything that it's added to so you can see why God would have us be cautious about that whole concept because if you think of the concept of leaven in what was what you had yesterday adding it to what you have today you can see that if yesterday was not a good day and you didn't do good things yesterday say suppose the yesterday is referring to your old life before you met the Lord leaven means that you have taken some of the elements that you should repent of or leave back in the past or so, and you put them over into the new life in a hidden form See, in a hidden form so it's not like you're taking it uh, you know in a pure way you know that, that you know it's wrong but you're not eliminating it from your new life so this is the undetectable leaven because there are things in our lives that God definitely knows that are not usable as far as his plans for your life are concerned your kingdom life it, it's going to take somebody who can rise to the occasion as far as your faith is concerned and your commitment and all that stuff is concerned and this leaven then has a negative connotation in fact throughout the Bible leaven does Passover was always around what we now know to be Easter time we know it was springtime that's where the concept of spring cleaning came from you know people I can remember when I was a kid spring cleaning yeah do your spring cleaning you know you go through and and uh, clean the house from top to bottom I don't know what people did but that's what they would do in the Old Testament they would go through the house and make sure there's no leaven left because even to have it in the house during that holy day was a sin so you went through and you went through all the cupboards the nooks and crannies you know kind of symbolically cleaning everything out even though the leaven was something that was from first day to the next day the other thing that leaven was it was a a fermenting agent for wine 
And so there was a, a, an abstent, uh, abstaining from fermented wine. You know, you could drink, uh, say, like what we call grape juice. But during that time, you abstain from fermented wine. But the fact of leavened bread, that meant that you, you, the thing of it is, leavened bread is symbolic of a comfortable life. It's symbolic of a a life that's pleasing to the senses. All that kind of stuff. And so this Passover was to be a meal that was eaten on the go. And not in a sense that this is a meal where you are doing it for the sake of pure enjoyment. But this is a meal that has a different purpose to it. This is is raw sustenance for this journey that God is going to have you take. And so God would have you get it down to the bare bones. Now if you're eating leavened bread you got to wait for it to rise. You got to put it in your oven. This was not that kind of meal. I mean God will let you have bread but it's a flat cake. You throw it on the oven. You know fry it real quick and let's move out. Because we're leaving. So unleavened bread also symbolizes leaving the taste of Egypt behind them. The things that were comfortable in the uh, your carnal life. Leaving that behind. One of the definitions for leaven in the Bible actually is extortion. It also means to be pungent, harsh, and sour tasting. So the the concept of fermenting is in that. Leaven also inflates the elements that it's added to. So there's a a falseness about it. Leaven, when Jesus said to beware the leaven of the Pharisees, and we'll talk a little bit more about that. The Pharisees spoke with what Paul referred to as great swelling words of man's wisdom. Mm-hmm. And so we have to be careful about leavening in people's words. Great swelling words. There are some preachers now that, that, you know, now I can say this between us. I find it mostly in ministers who are not spirit filled. They have to do something to increase the impact of their words and so they will often play and it's an emotional play they'll play to the emotions of people they'll use words if that audience is too quiet for too long they'll use words that will stir them up emotionally and then they'll start to holler back at them and all that kind of stuff and, and then it's on you know they take their cues from from people's not their spirits but from their flesh from their emotions so in that sense there's leaven in their words. See there's leaven there. Leaven adds air and palatability we said. So it's easier to swallow the gospel. If we pump it up with emotion. And then people don't have to obey God. They don't have to think about sin. They don't have to think about personal responsibility. All they can do is keep coming and getting that feel good message. And it's easier to swallow than you know letting them know. Well you know God wants wants to bless you. But there are certain conditions on the blessing that you, you got to let God do in your life kind of thing. So um, <clears throat> when we talk about the unleavened 
unleavened bread. That's what they really, really did. Leaven also in the New Testament refers to prideful sin. There's a connotation in New Testament theology that leaven refers to a prideful sin. Because it is actually old fermented dough added to a new batch. When Jesus preaches about the old, not putting an old piece of cloth into a new garment, because they'll both be torn and it'll look, it'll, the condition of the garment at the end will be worse than it was in the beginning, because instead of taking new and putting with new, you've taken old and tried to deceive somebody into thinking that it was all a new garment. And so God won't have that. He'll expose that. And he'll make sure that rip is known and it's made obvious. Now I know sometimes we've done things, you know, in our our ignorance as new Christians. I know I've done it. I get around Christians and try to talk the jargon and all that kind of stuff and sound like I'm really, really, really in with things. And then somehow you just got convicted about it and you didn't feel right about it. You say, well, I better shut up and, you know, just, just be here for God. You know, I'm not here for me. I'm here for God. So it's a prideful type of a sin that, that it's easy to get into. The old fermented dough was added to that, that uh, new batch and it permeated the new. It goes all through the new causing it to rise and it takes on a distinctive flavor and character. So what we are trying to do sometimes in prideful sin is imagine ourselves to be something that we're not. And we take on that distinctive character and that distinctive flavor that the leaven has caused you to to put in there. You know, I know in some denominations, you you know, the three piece suit was always a symbol of the prosperous preacher. You know, everybody had the three piece suit on whether you were prosperous or not. You know, or, you know, you were big and you just had that about you. And that's a form of leaven. See, it's there's nothing wrong with what what to be well dressed, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, but sometimes it's done to promote that image that you are just like everybody. What you're trying to do is be like everybody else. So you take a slice out of what they have and you put it in yourself and you puff up and look just like them. So it's a deception, really, and that's one of the words for leaven is extortion or deception. Because leaven refers to sin, we need to know that a little sin can permeate the whole body. Mm-hmm. Little foxes spoil the vine. So on the first day of the feast, all the leaven was purged or cleaned from the house. So one could not be tempted to use it either because if you consider the first Passover they didn't have time and they knew why they didn't have time but on succeeding Passover feasts you can see how people would say well gee I'm having all the people come over and all this it won't hurt anything for us to have some you know leavened bread or cake or whatever and so it's it's good for us to know that this undetectable leaven that sometimes resides and I'm sure resides in all of us you know it's just not seen all the time we don't need to deceive ourselves into thinking that we don't still have things that God's working on because it is hidden in our physical man 
and God is taking care of it. But if we try to deceive ourselves into thinking that it's not there, it's not important, it's not a big thing, it will eventually blow up in a way that we it's 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 not undetectable anymore it will be revealed so jesus tells us to be beware of this he warned in matthew 16 starting in verse 6 to beware of certain ingredients that were added into the messages that were being preached that they could not eat, they couldn't digest, and they could not accept. In Matthew chapter 16 and verse 5 it says, When the disciples were come to the other side, they have forgotten to bring bread with them. So they just, you know, get all excited about, you know, taking care of the things God wants to have done. And they forget bread. Verse 6, Jesus said unto them, Take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, This is because we had taken no bread. Now, this is something that happens to people all the time. You know, we get to a meeting and somebody was supposed to bring a you know, say say Miss Juana forgot her labels or something like that, or Shannon forgot her labels, and she knows it. Her fear when I come up to her is that I'm going to say something to her about labels, and sometimes that's all that's on your brain. I know she's going to say she's going to notice I didn't. Well, anything I say that even sounds like labels is going to. Nobody wants to be wrong. And when we're wrong, we don't want to be told we're wrong. We don't want to be found out. And so that's how the, the disciples lived around Jesus. They knew he knew everything. So they said, uh oh, he's we forgot the bread. He was supposed to get that. No, I wasn't supposed to get that bread. He was supposed to get that. Well, I'm not even in hospitality. How am I supposed to be bringing bread? Huh? Then everybody looking for little Shannon to beat her up, you know. She didn't want to be doing all that. They point the finger at her. Well, he wasn't even talking about bread. Huh? So anything he would have said if he talked about dill pickles, they would have confessed about not bringing the bread. So that wasn't even the top topic of conversation. But he did warn them to beware, take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. And they reasoned among themselves, it is because we have taken no bread, which when Jesus understood what they were saying perceived it he said to them O ye of little faith why are you reasoning among yourselves because you brought no bread now he knew they didn't bring it so he said why are you talking about and he says do you not understand neither remember the five loaves of the five thousand and how many baskets you took up Mm -hmm. don't you remember that we can always go down somewhere and buy them and you get to provide the money so that your memory will get better next time. <laughs> That's what everybody's scared of. See the law of restitution. <laughs> huh? That'll shock jog your memory into existence next time. Neither the seven loaves of the four thousand. In other words, 
if bread's the problem, you know I can make that. So why do you think I'm on your case about bread? In fact, he's not on their case. He's just instructing them. You got me, folks? The pastor's not on your case. She's just trying to instruct you. You're here because you want to live for God and be successful at it. He said, how is it that you do not understand that I spoke it not to you concerning bread, that you should beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees? Then they understood how that he told them not to beware of the leaven of bread, but the doctrine of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. In another scripture, he says their doctrine really is hypocrisy. So the Pharisees preach certain things but they don't do them. That's what hypocrisy is. How often do we have to think we have to abide ministers whose lifestyle doesn't match up with the Christian lifestyle but then we got to sift through their words and see what's of God and what's not of God. Why not throw the whole thing out? See, Save yourself some trouble and throw the whole thing out. And so when Jesus tells them to beware of the undetectable leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. In other words, always measure what somebody preaches to you against the word of God. And allow God to minister. You have the Holy Spirit in you who is your resident teacher. He's your teacher and your tutor. And you can always go to him to verify and validate what's being said to you. So that when you find something that doesn't measure up. You don't have to condemn or or throw the baby out with the bathwater, But you just don't receive that. That's all Jesus was saying. He said, you know, don't get so comfortable listening to what they preach, but sort through it and find that there's some inflated stuff. There's something there that that tells you certain people don't have to obey God's word and certain people do. And there are people here that have greater faith than other people and they can do this and do that. And and that's what sets them apart, see, from everybody. So Jesus tells them just to beware of this. That they are the type of people who will preach a certain thing but they don't live it. Just watch how they live to establish the fruit as well as the words. The fruit and the words must match. And so the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees is hypocrisy because they're false teachers. They were carnal and not spiritual. They would rob from the you know and and Jesus was really hard on them for their practices with money and with goods it's very God's very particular about the financial integrity of his servants and so he you know they would take the widow's houses and take money from them and wouldn't care how they lived and all this you know we have that going on now we got huge churches and ministries that collect large sums for missions and some of them are faithful with it some are not and some can do mission work right in their own congregations and don't do it and so we have to be careful of those things carnal things have a certain flavor they taste good to carnal people or immature people and that's one of the the pitfalls in leaven is that it will tend to keep people who are immature in that same condition you think about it 
if all of the churches in this country were doing the great commission we'd have have them half emptied on Sunday going out looking for people to share Christ with and bringing people in to minister not just with food and things but the gospel as well and we'd have people mature who who think about someone other than themselves and most churches people are coming there well you know they got daycare and I can leave the kids and I can do this it's all a me thing and so we're kept at a, a certain low level of maturity very often simply because it's easier to manage people on that level than it is to manage people who are growing and gifts are coming forth from them and they want to do more and this group wants to go out and this group went and this one needs to be trained to do this that and yet it puts a lot of stress on the leader and on the pulpit so there's often a leaven in their words that will keep people Calm down, pin down, don't get too excited, don't go run off through this, ask the pastor if you want to do that, you can't go, you got me? And so it's, it's nothing like the Lord envisioned his church to be because of these swelling words that will tend to feed the carnal frame. So that the, the, the purpose of our gathering together is not to equip and it's not to help and it's not to mature but it's more to entertain. And to keep people interested and entertained because when he gets on a certain subject they know that they're going to jump up and slap somebody you know, and on the hands and give them a high five and tell them this. And it's an entertainment thing. It's not to really equip people. Many of our meetings are not held on a level that gets everybody involved in worship. You know there's some worship that you don't want to get involved in. Because it's just too wild and crazy looking and there's a wrong atmosphere there. It's, you don't feel like the presence of God is, is there to help you and to meet your needs and so forth. So you just kind of look, well, I'm just trying to figure out where to jump in around here. You know, I'm just <laughs> not going to do anything. And so we have to be careful, folks, about leaven that comes in to make it palatable more to the flesh than to the spirit. And what that will will do in us. Now the leaven of Herod was something else that Jesus warned them about. In Mark 8 verse 15. Okay thanks. Let me scribble this off. 8 through Okay, so this was in the same conversation then that he had with them when they had forgotten to bring bread. And he beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of Herod. So that's important to know because there is leaven that comes from the world. And also from the church. But the same devils behind both of them. The leaven that comes with the world is something that's added into your gospel message to make it more, it make it easier on people. 
Say for instance when Oprah Winfrey pins some minister to the wall and asking them if they believe homosexuality is wrong. The correct answer is yes I do. And let's move on to something else. Now I've answered your yes question. And if they go further you show them in the word. Well do you think that holds today? Of course it is because Jesus the son of God who is the living word is the same yesterday, today and forever. And he is there to help the homosexual not to be homosexual anymore. You mean he denies them their rights? Oh yes and he denies me my rights to be homosexual and to be a fornicator and to be adulterer and to be a liar and to be a thief. He denies me all of those rights. And as a Christian I gladly give them up for a better life. And so when when the world injects its leaven into the Christian message it will always make it easy on sin. There's always a laxity on sin. There's a relaxing. We're, we, we become a church that wants people to feel love and not judged. Like that's our business. Is, is the way you feel when I preach my responsibility or is that your responsibility? As long as I'm preaching the word, how is it my responsibility? If I'm under the anointing, it's my business to tell the Holy Spirit not to use me that way so that you'll feel better about the message. And so the leaven of the world will always be the world's always pressuring the church to tone down the message, keep the message from sounding that way and all this kind of stuff. It's the same thing that they do in the political arena, the leaven of Herod. It will come and indict if some some candidate is a Christian and known to be a Christian, they will be indicted because of their Christianity. They'll start to fish with them to find something against them. And if you relent and if you pull back, you just got injected with that leaven from the world. And that's going to carry and that's what the devil wants to do to infect you with it so that you blow up your words and you can can attract more people to your false message instead of attracting people to the true message which will always do the job to get people saved. It will bring people under conviction of their sin and they will turn away from their wicked ways and will serve the living God. You have to be careful in these conversations that you're trying to to not have that effect on people that you know your words generally do. And that effect is you're talking with somebody and something slips out of your mouth and it looks like they got hit in the face with a pan of cold water. Christians hate that because it, you can't get close to people with that. And so we'll drink the Kool-Aid, in other words, except the leaven, to water our message down so that we can still have them close to us and feel like we got a friend rather than alienate people. Trust me, God will bring that relationship around the right way if you'll trust him. Because we are not our own anymore. We're bought with a price. And we're warned by Jesus. Just stay with what I've given you. Stay with the program. Don't worry about people. Trust me if there's a way that your message needs to be modified more to God's approval. He'll certainly let you know. 
But the Holy Spirit will get people under conviction. You have no idea how much he wants to get your boss saved. And the only way he can do that is bosses got to know he's a sinner and he's on his way to hell and he needs a savior and you're the key to his saving and not his condemnation. See, And so when we understand what God is doing through us, it'll be easy for us not to rely and let this undetectable leaven get in there. Because very often we just, well, you know, I must be saying something wrong. What am I saying wrong? Then an idea comes to us and it slips right in. And it's able to get in there and distort our message. How do you think Carlton Pearson went from having one of the fastest growing integrated church in Tulsa, Oklahoma, led by a dark-skinned person, to somebody who's now telling people you don't have to repent to go to heaven? And he's lost everything except his family. But he's just as deceived and way out in left field. and It's leaven, folks. Little by little he let the devil destroy the message of the gospel by questioning things that he should not have questioned. He should just have received them by faith. He says all his life in his parents denomination and grandparents denomination he was told that certain people were going to go to hell because such and such and such and such. And he began to blame God for their error in doctrine. To the point where he said, well, I don't know how people, you know, how can we blame people who have never heard the gospel that are living in remote areas? Well, those questions should have been posed to God when you first started growing up instead of letting them linger in the back of your soul. And now you're questioning in a big way. Why don't you question it when you didn't have a congregation? All this anger. At God about things that you have no control of. It's not your business. Delving into things and making judgments and determinations on things that's not your concern. That snooping around can get you into big trouble one day. What business is it of his whether somebody who quits serving God goes to hell or not? God made them. God made heaven for them. Hell for them. And how does he know who went where? But all of a sudden now that he's gotten responsibility and now that he's, God's given him a voice and now that he's given him stature in the earth and now that he's given him people who uh, appreciate him and can follow him. He's a very gifted person. He's heavily invested in God's people. Loves people. But Levin got him in trouble. Little idea tucked in the back of his soul that kept nagging, 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 looking for expression at some point. Just gnawing away at him, looking for a way to express itself. Finally got the open door. That's why Jesus said to beware of it. Kick it out. Purge. Purge the the temple of that that, uh, leaven of undetectable leaven so in first let me go there because I really wanted to go in first Corinthians I think it's chapter 5 
your responsibility is to make sure that, that you, you keep the word pure in you. You know, you keep it straight up the way God gave it to you. First Corinthians 5 and chapter 7 it says, Purge out therefore the old leaven, that you may be a new lump. All us little lumps out here. <laughs> and that symbolic lump of clay, that's what we are. So he says, be a new lump of clay, where Christ can mold you into what he wants you to be. But you've got to purge yourself of the old ideas. He says, <clears throat> as, as you are unleavened. So a born again person, your spirit has no leaven in it. You're pure and you're clean. But there's other ideas on the inside of your head that are going to compete with that. So he says just keep going through like the spring cleaning ritual we've done in the past. Just keep purging yourself of the old leaven. When you see that people are trying to water down your message, you purge that out of you. You know, don't let them tell you you're mean and you're not this and you're not that. And, and, and you know, they don't want to uh, serve your God because of you. How dare they? Huh? How dare they? They didn't want to serve them before they met you. You know, <laughs> come on now. I, I had no effect whatsoever on whether or not you were going to serve God. You know what God does when, when we blow our witness? He brings a stronger witness. Huh? If, if you flubbed it, say you, you went to witness to somebody or, or say you had witnessed to somebody and you backslid and they saw you mess up. He'll bring another witness to them. He said you rejected that one because you thought they wasn't fit. I'll bring you a fit one this time. He keeps at them, folks. So you're not the last word in any, anywhere. Just trust me with that, okay? You, you ain't the end of it. He keeps sending more. So the more we reject, he sends more. I had an aunt that used to try to witness to me. She wasn't, she wasn't really born again. You know, she'd been in church all her life. And I'd seen her do things. As a professing Christian that I knew were wrong. I'm thinking oh, well, what she got. You know the next person had a real testimony. The next person that witnessed to me had the real thing. So that never stops God from saving people folks. I mean you're a lump. You got me. And you're being molded into the image of Christ. You keep purging the leaven out. Don't quit on your program of allowing God to perfect you. But understand this. It, you don't stop the show. Just because you, you know, they didn't take to you or they didn't like you, God will send them another messenger with a message that they can receive. They get sick of new messengers coming every time they complain about one. They'll, they'll get the message. They'll get the hint. So <clears throat> the undetectable element of leaven is what is hidden in our hearts and souls. And it, it has to do with an iniquity that still God is working on. And the enemy knows it's there, so he will send people to kind of work on it to keep us from purging it. To keep us from purging it. The the reason a lot of of things have come up to the surface in people, I mentioned Carlton Pearson as somebody who no doubt had some misgivings or some some uh, errant thoughts, errant beliefs 
about God and about the gospel hidden inside of him and they stay dormant for many many years and the enemy knows how to play on that see he'll play on it through situations and create atmospheres that will cause these doubts to grow and these fears to grow so that eventually they start just like a cake bakes and they begin to inflate the whole lump and they can infect the whole lump and then pretty soon that person makes a decision to drink the Kool-Aid you know and buy the whole idea of what the leaven proposes on the inside of them peer pressure will cause that sometimes people will come aside and want to tell you their pet peeves about the church you got to be careful about that kind of stuff because their enemy has already sent them because he knows that there's something in you that would be brewing and stirring if the conditions were right when we different things in the media that we hear about uh, certain people and so forth and so on can start to inflate that type of leaven on the inside of us and and promote the sinful lifestyle that the enemy wants us he wants us to quit struggling to serve God you know what I'm saying it's always like eh, when it's getting hard then he'll start to work on that you know if, if you could get over here you could be free of that atmospheres what we hear in the media sinful people there's so much sin being promoted everywhere you turn and and it's easy to feed that iniquity in people witchcraft drugs and alcohol and the abuse of it it affects certain parts of us that foster self-control I always get nervous about ministers that still drink some or still hold on to that you know I'm you know and this oh okay you know don't don't judge your brother you know and his wine and in his food and all this kind of stuff but if you don't need it don't take it it's feeding that indetectable leaven in there some kind of way and God has told you to get rid of it and so when it explodes on you then you got to go around explaining to everybody decisions that we make especially toward other people's sin or or uh, you know their unrighteousness decisions that you make will feed that thing somebody you like you want to go kind of easy on them or you don't want to hurt their feelings or something like that tell them what thus saith the lord will feed that leaven and then at some point it's going to rise up to the place where you can't hide it anymore this is what happens to to people David is a good example David was a man of war he was also a, a, a mighty man but he was a humble man God was in control of his life to such a, a degree that he could send prophetesses into David's life like Nabal's wife and and prophesy to him and in the heat of a fit of anger wanting revenge that word could cut in there and he could come normal again Whew, man that was God you know and and 
and, and make those split decisions to cut off the source of leaven on the inside of him that wanted to murder. Because that murder thing, I mean, if you're a person who's comfortable wielding the sword as a warrior, that spirit of murder can be ever so close there as a weapon when you your own personal life is threatened and so David because in in he had good discipline over that under his personal life because we see him running from Saul and have close calls with Saul and when he thought he would use his own devices to kind of intimidate Saul and like na 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 look what I did I cut your skirt I could have got convicted him cut him to the quick to his heart he obeyed God and so that that leaven that was in there that wanted to murder and get revenge and but you puff yourself up personally. Who does he think he is? I'm the next king of Israel. He can't do this to me. I'll kill him. See? David always was able to keep that thing under control under those circumstances. But there came a time. See? Came a time when it was just not convenient to fight it anymore. Thing. Now he, they didn't have the new birth, but they did have extraordinary power in God. They weren't defenseless before God, and so <clears throat> here David was a descendant of Rahab the harlot. You see, this is why I say it's undetectable. We're all born in sin and shaped in iniquity. He had no idea what was resident on the inside of him. But on the inside of him was a lust, hate, and murder triad because you saw it in his son. See? When he raped his sister, half-sister Tamar. And so these undetectable. This is what God's talking about we have to purge. When it first comes to light, you see something in you that wants to rise up and rebel, that'll, uh, you know, take somebody in authority and kind of put them under your feet and all that. You've got to get before God and purge that. You say, God, you know what? I can't live with this on the inside of me. I know it's going to come out one day when it's going to hurt my life. It might hurt my family. It might hurt anybody. I can't live with this. That's what purging is. See, you don't clean it out and you don't get rid of it, but you acknowledge it before God because now it's brought to the light. What are you going to do with it? Pretend it's not there? If you do that, then all you're doing is waiting for the enemy to come by with circumstances and situations that will feed it, cause it to rise up more, and then eventually it will manifest in a time you don't want it to manifest. So there David is. Feeling prideful. Second Samuel chapter 11. Let me take you there. Second Samuel chapter 11. And it came to pass after the year was expired at the time when kings go forth to battle. David sent men out instead. So there's the pride coming in there. He probably done it before and gotten away with it. Didn't get any trouble. Thought it was going to be okay. See this is, this is why you don't take liberties with God's word. Just because you didn't get caught the last time. It doesn't mean you can make a practice of living disobediently. See, 
there are certain things that when God requires them they are required he's trying to save David the trouble all of this stuff that he's about to head into David could be spared from it because if you go out to battle you put your own life at risk you make your life an offering I mean even though those men will protect the king they'll do everything to protect the king they are symbolically the king is symbolically standing with his people as just another man you got me he he has to subject himself to everything that everybody else is subjected to see the trouble sometimes with Christians is we start to get ourselves elevated to the point where we don't identify with you know the person on the outside or the person that's you know I I, I, I was talking to Pastor Shirley and she was saying that uh, when they they went out to, to pass out bread yesterday she said everybody in the church went she said even the people that usually hang back because they have office stuff to do or something like that she said everybody went she said we had 80 people lined up outside that building she said we passed out 80 bags of bread or bread to 80 people and she said that people were so overwhelmed the people at the, the the congregation was so overwhelmed and excited about that i said yeah it's easy when somebody else has dug the trenches and blazed the trail and done all the hard work you know everybody wants to enjoy it then but there was a spirit of we're all in this together rather than that's not my gift and i gotta pick up a bag i just had my nails done can you please let's not go through the old ways again and that's the men I got a million of them. But anyway. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? There's a, a spirit of the body. That comes on a body. That is impossible to resist if you're a part of the body. And I've been doing this long enough. I know the resistors. I know the people that go easily. I know the people that go like sleep cheap to the slaughter. You know all that kind of stuff. But you go. You got me? David resisted that spirit of the body. It's a bad thing to do. Because you will find yourself outside without remedy. You got me? The Bible says if you're often reproved, and God's reproving people, to stay where he positions them, find their joy in serving, even in the least things, etc., etc., and it was David's, it was for him to go out to battle. He said it was the time. So he was out of timing in what he's doing. Hanging back. Letting everybody else take the risks. And it's servants with him and all Israel. And they, I'm sorry, um, yeah, they came to pass after the year was expired. And they destroyed the children of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David tarried still at Jerusalem. So all of the servants and all of his mighty men are out fighting. And he's just laying around on the couch. And it came to pass in an evening tide that David arose from off his bed and walked upon the roof of the king's house. Idleness. Not being where you're supposed to be at the time you're supposed to be there will set you up for this dormant iniquity, undetectable leaven to rise up. So he's rising. 
He's feeling like the king. He's feeling like nobody can stop him. He can do anything he wants to do. He's got people out fighting in his place. Instead of him fighting he's got it made. Until temptation comes. And that's always what happens. When you're not being defended. You're unprotected. Temptation will come to you. And he says. He's in from he went to the roof of his house and from the roof he saw a woman washing herself and the woman was very beautiful to look upon and you know the end result he sent for her she came he slept with her she got pregnant and he winds up in a plot to murder her husband now how does he go from somebody who has been able to fight off even when his personal life was threatened to fight off advances from Saul and advances to murder Saul and he respected Saul as the anointed of God even when he's trying to kill him that's some tough stuff because anybody can claim self-defense in a situation like that but he stayed with God he stayed with the wisdom of God and he stayed with the plan of God throughout all of that and now all of a sudden it grabs him and bites him you know this is a lesson for older Christians as they get so called mature in God and get lax and comfortable and think they got it made. Now I have to do this and I'll have to do that and I can do this and I can do that. So that's a warning because there is un, undetectable iniquity in all of us. We don't even know it's there. And we can slip up and this and disobedience will always cause it to rise to the higher level. Because iniquity feeds on it. It feeds on iniquity because it is iniquity itself. So this lust, hate, and murder manifests on him. He begins to plot to kill Bathsheba's husband. First plot he thinks, well let me think. Let me make him think he got her pregnant. So I'll tell him, you just go do what I'm doing. I'm just lounging in my palace. You go over there and sleep with your wife tonight. And Uriah didn't. He went and stayed with the... She had more integrity than David. His own personal integrity in being a man of war and staying with the men of war cost him his life. Where if David had had the same attitude, David could have lived and everybody could have lived. And so David winds up murdering Uriah, setting him up to be murdered. It looked like it was just a normal part of war, but he knew in his heart what he did and God knew. And God exposed it. And so he was exposed in the end. That's why when people mention David, it's always David and Bathsheba. Never David by himself. You understand when you get hooked into your sin like that. You get tagged with your sin. If if we don't allow God and we purge these things, they will come back and haunt us and bite us and trip us up at some point. God wants us pure through and through. He wants us to address iniquity as what it is. Iniquity. It's not good. It's not cute. It's not something I just can't help. I don't know why I'm like this. I just don't know what to do. It's not that. It's wrong. And it's sin. And God wants us to get rid of it. And if we will renounce it, God will help us to purge the sin out of our lives. These hidden things that so easily beset us. Self-consciousness. You know, uh, self 
exaltation the desire to be uh, more than what we are at this point right now you know we just anxious for things and too eager to get ahead and all this kind of stuff they can come back and bite us because we'll find out we weren't prepared by God for the place we're attaining to just yet God has a time and a place for us to attain to this but it ain't right now so how do we purge it we refuse to coddle it don't make excuses for it it's not excusable when the Holy Spirit reveals these things to us we renounce them get in the word where that's concerned get it in your heart and your mind that it's not acceptable to God it's not something that he wants you to live with live live in because he has better things for you Self-pity will always assist your soul in allowing the leaven to remain. And David probably thought, well, I'm tired. You know, I've been out, I've been doing this. I did this when I was young. It's time for the younger men to take it over now. That kind of stuff where you, you promote yourself out of the, you know, ability or the, the responsibility of carrying out just normal duties. So your self-pity will assist your soul in allowing the leaven to remain. But know this, that if if you will allow God to keep it, just keep it up there where you know it's not right. You know it's something he's working on. You know one day you'll look up and it won't be there anymore. Because you're giving God permission to take care of it. It's not something that's impossible for you to do. Or you just, I just have to fight myself so much to, to get this done. I remember telling somebody who was smoking and didn't like it. They knew it was wrong health wise. It, it was wrong as a witness of self-control among believers. It's worldly looking. You know there's so many things with it that aren't good for a person. And I remember telling them. They said I just can't quit. I can't quit. I said well you've got to let God help you. You've got to let God help you. And that's what I'd say about anything that we, we think is we're up against that's maybe too much for us. Let God help you. And I told her, I said, why don't you just every time you take a puff on your cigarette, go, Jesus, thank you for setting me free from cigarettes. I'm not a smoker anymore. I refuse to smoke. You know? And they laughed. And I said, You're that's the first step in getting free, the joy of the Lord. You got me? That's the first step in getting free. The next time I saw him, I talked to him. I said, well, how are you doing? You know what? I haven't smoked since, you know, it just took a couple days. A couple days that taste was gone for me. See, that's what God wants to do with all of us, to purify us, get us ready. You've got to be ready for the things that God is, is doing in the earth and how he wants to promote us and get us further equipped for service. A healed sir, a soldier is a lot more effective than a wounded one. You know, we can walk around wounded almost forever. But once we get healed and we get whole, you know, you see this this a uh, lot of um promotion on with the returning military, the wounded ones, and how people are finding, you know, if we could just get a a group together to help them and then when they get on their feet, they're stronger and more normal sometimes than the ones who didn't go or something like that. There's something about that restoration that is so God to help us to be everything that he's called us to be but I'm telling you he's working on the body of Christ folks don't think for one minute he doesn't see the leaven that's out there he doesn't see the inflated 
preaching. He doesn't see, see the emotional and the immature saints that are out there. He wants his people mature. He wants them ready for, for what he wants them to do. And he wants them out there working for him. And, and this is the process. And we all have to submit to it. We're not above it as, as watchmen. We're not above it as, as, as spirit-filled believers. But, but we subject ourselves to it. And it's so easy to get over these difficult places where we think we can't get our victory but we can why don't we stop